Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're going to be talking to an ex-fighter pilot from the US Air Force, Mike, a captain-turned-CTO leading the tech in an organisation that has developed a fantastic employee experience platform, bringing together everything you need to create a high-performing, connected culture, regardless of where your employees work. So let's not delay, let's get Mike into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Mike. Welcome to CTO Confessions Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, Well, my name is Mike Kuvian. And I'm the, currently the CTO at a company called Kazoo, and we're in the human resources space, providing performance management and rewards and recognitions for peer-to-peer recognition among employees to drive employee engagement for companies. Brilliant. And I'm really looking forward to hearing more about that. But before we jump in there, I'm kind of quite curious around your journey to tech leadership. Where did it all start, Mike? Uh, well, it started back in college. Uh, I, I was destined to be an engineer in computer science, but had the opportunity to to join the Air Force, who graciously agreed to pay for my college education in exchange cool. for a few years of service. Uh, that started out as a flying career that, that taught me a lot about leadership, uh, just being in that role. Uh, post-military career, moved into the technology space, had my own consulting company for a while that I sold off, and then moved into various software companies from the security space through oil and gas, and then today in human resources. Fantastic. Um, obviously, yeah, you probably get this all the time, but uh, your, your kind of flying career, I mean, what was that like? Was it was it fun? Oh, it was by far the sexiest job I've ever had. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. You know, anytime you can, you can break the speed of sound, you're, you're doing well. Yeah, fantastic. And, uh, and just, just out of interest, do you have any kind of videos of, of you actually flying or anything like that? Did they ever record your flight time? No, that, that's the downside is that it was so long ago that, uh, you know, cell phone cameras didn't exist back then. Yeah. <laughs> and, and video cameras that did have, you'd need another airplane to bring with oh, you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I could imagine, yeah. So that's brilliant. And, and we'll kind of touch on how the lessons you had from that kind of part of your career into that, because there's everything's a learning experience and some things are real learning experiences and they kind of define uh, how you roll as a leader and, and as, a, as a team player as well. Um, and what the transition to to tech leadership, what, what was that like? Because um, I imagine you were very technical and then you kind of had to kind of morph into this leader and, and people. Yeah. Kind of, uh, yeah, so that, that actually started in my last couple of years in the military where I was put in charge. Uh, my flying days were over at that point, and I knew I wasn't going to stay in for a long career. And I transitioned into working with a command and control system, which is basically in the military, it's, it's a set of systems that control, in our case, the air assets that you would be going and doing missions with. Yeah. And the system needed to be deployed anywhere in the world. It was up to 600 workstation network. Yeah. And it really gave me that insight to say, what is the customer 
going to actually do with this system? What's the real world application? And that really, really biased how I looked at supporting the systems. I knew, you know what, we don't need to worry about this part of the application because in the real world, the pilots don't have time to use that. It makes for a great demo, but it's not terribly useful. However, this other piece of the software, they use 20 times a day. Let's go make that the best it can be because they use that all the time. Right. And that's really colored my career since then. The, the other aspect of it was uh, there is in technology, as you know, it's a fast moving industry. And that concept of how do you think quickly and be flexible when you're looking at solving a technical problem, it was the same in the flying career. And, and uh, as, as we've discussed earlier, that's that's where the concept of the OODA loop really started to, to come into play was in those early days in the military sure. and transitioning to that. From there, uh, yeah, my career has just been progressing through the, the various technologies in different industries. Yeah. Primarily through I, software, primarily SaaS-based products. Yeah, I can imagine, you could have described when you first came in, the only things you had were were these kind of very limited resources. I mean, that must have been pretty challenging uh, at the time. And the technology wasn't, I guess, kind of had a long way to go to, to the point, you know, it's, it is at now. Yeah, I mean, back in those days, if you had a 56K line, that was a fat bandwidth pipe. Really? And you're yeah. trying to do things, uh, exchanging large amounts of data over very thin pipes. So how do you develop a messaging system that can be extremely efficient? Yeah. How do you do this in a quick manner when you have to get uh, data from point A to point B and it's a geographically very far distance and you have a very limited time window to do it in? Yeah, all of those problems and, and having to sort through those problems. And, and I think that helped me set up to become a leader because I had to not just worry about my technology team. I also had to worry about the other teams that were periphery, uh, on the periphery of, of that experience where uh, in our case, it was transportation guys, it was security, it was uh, yeah. power, all of those other aspects. Yeah, a very cross-functional team if you're gonna use an agile term, you know? It's uh, and, extremely and, cross-functional, yes. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. And you kind of mentioned uh, the kind of OODA loop a second ago, um, mm -hmm. and we've obviously had conversations offline around that. Um, yeah. And we'll kind of mention it again in, in terms of leadership, but what, what is the OODA loop? So the OODA loop, it stands for Observe, Orient, Decide, and Act. And it's the concept that when, when you're facing a problem in the military, it'd be an opponent, but in, in the real world, it can be a, a problem you're looking at. And the observation is data collecting. What what is the what is the problem? What is the the, the scenario that we're looking at? And what are my current capabilities? Orientation is about what is my current position in relation to this problem, and what do I need to change about that in order to make it a more advantageous engagement. Uh, the decision part is based on my orientation. I came up with a list of two or three options. Pick one, make a decision, decide on it. And the last piece is act and then act on it. Mm. Whoever loops through that fastest is going to win, whether it's a, an engagement in combat or you're trying to problem solve and, and the problem is your enemy, so to speak. Yeah. It can also be applied to business where your competition, if you're, if you're making a decision and acting while your competition is still trying to orient themselves, you're going to beat them in the market each and every time. Yeah, I love that. It's very, again, very agile, very business agile as well. 
It, I would say that the, the military was into Agile long before yeah. Agile was a thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and I guess when you were kind of flying uh, flying your planes, this was going on all the time. It was it was a thing that was just cycling around, very tight OODA yeah. loops, you know? It's 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 a very tight loop. And and you see it even used in a lot of business thing uh, scenarios today. When you hear phrases like, I got inside their decision loop. Ah. Uh, that's straight out of the, the, the book by... Uh, uh, Major Boyd, who who came up with the concept. Yes. Uh, other other things that you've seen is uh, a lot of classic problems that people run into is they get stuck in that whole observing and orienting, and a lot of people refer to that as analysis paralysis. I don't yes. make a decision and move forward because I'm trying not to fail. And the whole aspect of the OODA loop is you're better off making a decision, even if it's the wrong one, learning from it and getting back into the next decision then you are trying to find the perfect answer. Yes. Uh, be moving yeah. forward, be be progressing, not stuck in one spot. Yeah, I have to put my hand up right now and I have to admit that I've ended up in that analysis paralysis a few times. So a little rabbit hole that I seem to be attracted to and I go down it and uh, and I guess what a lot of us leaders out there do as well. So that's great. I'm, I'm gonna uh, look into this kind of concept more, you know, and see if I can make those faster decisions and, and, and tighten those loops. So coming on to the company that you're working for at the moment, Kazoo, um, Mike, um, what's the problem that it's solving in the market? What is it doing and what's the problem it's solving? So the the real most glaring problem that, that you have in a lot of businesses today is employee engagement. So a company, it's a proven fact, there have been many studies that employees who actually believe in what the company is doing, that they're engaged with the company, are more productive. We didn't need a better worldwide example of the impact than with this recent pandemic over the last year, where suddenly companies had to deal with an employee workforce that's not in the office, where you have the natural socialization aspects of people being together in an office and working together. Now they're scattered and they're they're all remote. How do you keep your employees engaged in the mission that your company is trying to achieve? And what our tool does is allows uh, employees to do that peer-to-peer -peer recognition with each other. Yeah. It also allows the managers and the leadership in a company to establish goals, uh, provide an ability to check in on the progress of those goals, to do weekly sync-ups. And it's really trying to change the paradigm of how you manage a group of people. Yes. Today's worker is different than yesterday's worker, and you have to manage them differently. And the old days of an annual review, for example, yeah. If you're trying to do that with the workers of today, it's not an annual review. It's an exit interview. If yes. you haven't talked to your employee for a year, they're not going to be there when you go to talk to them. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And offline, you kind of mentioned that, you know, um, the tool is working on the premise that, you know, um, you know, there's a, there's a clear correlation between, you know, uh, the company well-being and the, and the well-being of the people and, and knowing how what that is and how they're doing, you know. Um, I mean, is the, is the kind of tool based on on uh, kind of scientific algorithms or is it just a, a, a pure feedback loop back to the organization? Uh, on the performance management aspect of it, it follows along the lines of, of the observable key results. Uh, so a company will set three to five business, high-level business goals of things they want to achieve. And then your management team can pick goals that align to that. And then you pick those two or three measurable results that you can use to actually track the progress. And 
this fits into that whole OODA loop concept because that's your data collection, that's your orientation. How are you measuring what you're doing? You can't improve what you don't measure. So having those measurable results, what's the one thing that's really important, uh, that's really critical that everybody needs to keep their eye on? Yeah. Uh, simple example I'll use is I once at a software company where we wanted to expand our international business and we had tons of marketing leads and how did that fill in the sales funnel and we had all kind of metrics around our engineering deliverable but the only one that really mattered was how many other countries can we actually sell our product in now now coming back onto you mike i'm really interested in you as a as a tech leader and um, what's the passion that really kind of drives you what makes you jump out of bed in the morning i think like every engineer the the thing that drives me the most is i really really enjoy solving a problem yeah uh, that that's kind of at the core of it. When you're in business, it's generally you're trying to solve some customer's problem. Sometimes in your early engineering career, you can get caught up in, oh, this is the latest technology or this is the yeah. new shiny thing. And that can drive you to a point. Yeah. But ultimately, you realize it's not about building the latest shiny thing. I've been doing this long enough to know there's a new shiny thing every couple months. It's really about solving that problem that a customer was struggling with something you've come along and you've provided a solution to that and now it's better yes and making things better is what really drives me i love that that sounds really good it's has a, it's a human impact through technology you know so not your, your passion around solving problems i mean how does that feed into your leadership how do you roll as a leader so the way that we i work with my team is there's no shortage of problems. We've always got customers that are asking for a new feature, a bug, or they have a problem that they don't know what the answer is, and they've come to us to be advisors for that. And I'll sit down with my team and, and we'll literally pose the question to them. And it, it's a it's one of my methodologies is I am not the smartest guy in the room by a long shot. In fact, I, I pride myself on hiring people that are a lot smarter than me mm. because uh, if I am the smartest one in the room and trying to solve the problem, we're in trouble. Yeah, uh, There are just people that know more about their disciplines. But I do know how to ask questions, and that's what I will try to do. I will ask those questions to try and elicit the different opinions. And everybody will, will chime in. Everybody's got their, their piece of the pie that they can bring to the table, their information, their data, and then collectively we will look at this. But ultimately, that that's... That, Oodle loop part of orienting and, and, and observing, then we'll make a decision on what our path forward is going to be. Right. And then once the decision is made, once you can provide that leadership, you say, I've made the decision, we're going here, it becomes a lot easier for the team to execute on a plan to get there. Uh, they know where we're headed. Brilliant. I'm a firm believer in decentralizing decisions as much as possible because if everybody knows the the direction that we're headed in, it is impossible for us to know all the obstacles we may face along the way. Sure. But if I give the freedom to those team leads to make decisions on their own, because they all know where we need to end up. Yes. And they may have to take a slight detour, but they'll get back on track. And that's going to make us successful in the long term, rather than trying to have some sort of centralized, dictated answer from above. And being CTO Confessions podcast, are there any kind of styles of leadership in the in your past that haven't worked for you? And what were your lessons from that? Oh, uh, by far my biggest failure when I first was put in a leadership position, and I, I would say I wasn't a leader yet, 
uh, was making that transition from being the answer person to the question person. Yeah. When, when you've been the engineer that people came to to say, solve this problem, and you're like, okay, I can put my brain against this. There is a tendency early in, in leadership where you, you try to solve everything and you're just going to tell everybody what to do. Well, guess what? You didn't like being micromanaged when you were the engineer. Why are you trying to do that to the other folks? Yeah. And it was learning to let that go and trust other people. And also learning to distinguish between somebody's solution may be different than yours. That doesn't make it wrong. Yeah. And Brilliant. how can you learn from that? Yeah, that's great. And as a tech leader, being a tech leader, it's a lot of responsibility. Only leaders got a lot of responsibility, but tech leadership, there's lots of kind of different uh, avenues and, and things that you've got to look out for the, the past, the legacy systems, the future, where you're going and what's going on right now. What's the, what's the biggest thing that kind of keeps you up at night? Biggest thing that keeps me up at night is probably have I given my teams all the resources they need to do their job. There are always the challenges of tech debt or new features that need to be done or new customers with unique problems. You can solve those and there'll be a new one each day, but it's, it's being able to make sure that my team has the tools that they need in order to work on those. Cause you can't solve those if you don't have that. Yes. And, and whether those tools are the right coaching, the right mentoring, the right software tools that they need to, to do. That's probably the thing that I struggle with constantly. Yeah. Are there any things that you're doing to make that easier? Um, any kind of strategies you have to resolve that? Uh, yeah. One is really understanding the financial side of the business. As a technologist, it's not just about knowing the technology. It's also about understanding if I go ask for this new tool suite or whatever, what does that cost? How's it going to impact EBITDA? Yes. The first person I have to get on my side about getting that tool is our CFO. Yeah. Because it's likely to be the most objectionable if it's if it's a very costly item. So not going into the discussion with other business leaders who are not necessarily doing it from the we need to buy this because technically it's the best thing. Mm. It's we need to buy this and here's how it's going to improve the business by doing so. And having those numbers lined up, having that argument lined up then it makes that a lot easier. So it's, it's really understanding the impact of what you're trying to do and, and how is that going to play to the other, the other business leads in your company. Excellent. And from your leadership, what are the things that you do to kind of create your high-performing teams, these kind of uh, fantastic kind of techie um, you know, boys and girls to, to, develop, um, to deliver the business value? Uh, step one is making sure that you're, you've, that you're really diligent about how you hire. Mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer in hiring A players will attract other A players. People, particularly engineering types, uh, being able to learn uh, new and more and new things and being able to execute at a high level is something that a lot of engineers strive to do. So while yes, you've got to address salary and benefits and all the, the table stake things, the next things that come into play is what am I going to learn? How am I going to become better at what I do? Who am I working with? And are they really good at doing this too? That Those are other motivating factors for a lot of engineers. So we tend to follow the process of we're very particular about how we hire. Mm. And it's, it's not just about the technical competence. Yes, you have to have that. 
Uh, you have to have the ability to do the job, but do they also have the other traits? You know, are they hungry? Are they smart? Are they curious? I, I'm not all that attracted to folks who are constantly worried about what is, you know, what problems might come next or worried about the next phase. I'm looking for that person who's curious about that next phase. Yeah. Who really wants to know like, yeah, bring it on. Let's, let's go do this. It's new. It's exciting. If you have those traits, I can teach you how to write code. I can teach you the other technical skill sets. Uh, those other things are harder to teach. You, you have to develop those on your own. And so we're very diligent about our hiring process and we're fairly quick. If you're not working out, if you're not able to get there, we tend to fire pretty quick. Yes. And, and that has really paid off for us in, in significantly. And it's worked for me throughout my career. Brilliant. I, I love the idea also employing A players. You know, they have a gravity around them. They attract that kind of similar uh, talent and uh, kind of energy around them, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So Mike, have you got any tips around communication and creating alignment within your teams? Yeah, uh, communication is critical. Uh, there isn't a single function or, or discipline within an engineering organization that is going to solve all the problems. So you have to communicate. If you're in development, if you're in QA, if you're in the product management space, it is imperative that, that there is a high level of communication. Uh, there's different tools, whether you're using Slack or Teams, whether you're using email, constantly being in communication. If you're a leader, if you're a manager, uh, there's an old axiom is everything you say is, is magnified by a megaphone. Um, so yeah. even though that's true, still say it 10 times so that <laughs> everybody understands where you're going. Be clear about what your expectations are. Be clear about where you want to take the organization as a whole. Um, if you think you've clearly communicated, go back and ask the questions. There, You can never ask too many questions, mm. whether that's, I said we were going to go here. Is everyone in alignment with that? Do you understand what that means for your next step? How yeah. is that going along? The other key about communication is it needs to be fairly frequent. Don't wait a month. Don't wait six weeks. Don't wait till the next refinement or the next grooming. Talk with each other uh, each day as you need to. Uh, we insist on daily standups for all of our teams. That's not a new concept in Agile, mm. but a lot of times it's that 15 minutes of just saying, here's what I'm doing today and here's what I need help on. Yes. And Love making it. sure that everybody is on the same page. Yeah, it's a very simple tool and it has a huge impact. It just set, sets a team up, but that's synchronizing and, and knowing if there are any kind of issues. And collaboration. I, so I'm going to ask you around kind of leading remotely because this is the world we're living at the moment. We could, uh, in the future, people really listening to in the future, we are still in the uh, COVID era. Um, so how are you finding leading remotely and ensuring that that collaboration stays in place? Uh, I've been fortunate in that most of my career for the last 12 to 15 years, I've had teams that were remote. So I've, wow. I've had to develop this skill set all along. So this isn't all that much different for me, but it's really being clear about what the goal is. And, and if you've communicated that appropriately, then the collaboration aspects will lend themselves. And I'll use a couple of examples to be uh, I've worked in organizations where I've headed a product team. I've been parallel with a product team where there was a chief product officer as well, 
technology. And I've been where I've reported to a, a product officer. And it was irrelevant what the org chart was. It didn't change the nature of the job that me and the product head of product needed to be tied at the hip because they're defining the what we're going to build. We're defining the how. And you can't do either of those independent of the other. That trickles down to even the teams. Each one of our development teams has a product manager assigned with them. The head of the, the tech lead and that product manager are a pair. They're, they're like many business leaders that are working together. The third leg of that is the quality assurance team. The quality assurance team is usually your first group that is bringing that customer point of view. It's not just about building a shiny new engineering solution. It's also about satisfying that customer. Yes. And they're your first line of defense against thinking about how a customer is going to use this. And they can help the product person define those acceptance criteria because in their head, they're thinking, oh, they want to build this widget. How would I test that widget? Well, that question becomes an acceptance criteria. Yes. And that collaboration between those three folks is imperative. It is what is going to make you successful. And if any one of those is not working well together, then the whole thing will fall apart. Yeah, excellent. And we're kind of talking about collaboration and um, and, and teams. Mm -hmm. But um, one of the things you kind of mentioned offline is, is that you're actually part of a private equity company uh, that has a kind of very collaborative, very uh, nurturing ecosystem within itself. Yeah, we, uh, so we're, we're part of a, we're owned by a private equity firm. And one of the nice things that I like about, and it's Vista Equity Partners, they're uh, headquartered out of Austin. Uh, the nice thing about Vista Equity and, and what other PE firms also offer is you're not alone. You're not by yourself. You know, we're a relatively small software company in the, in, in Austin. But the portfolio that they own has a lot of other folks. I can go to them and say, is anyone else in the portfolio facing this problem? Or have they used this software tool or they work with this vendor? And I can get feedback from people who've just been down that journey before I have. And sometimes it's, yeah, they're exactly what you need. Sometimes it's don't go that way. That's that's a bad <laughs> path. Right. And because I've been in different industries, I've been uh, but it's all been in technology and you see the same problems crop up over and over again. And it, it's just really helpful to have that pool of resources that we can go in. And our, we have with our private equity group, there is a security group. So if you have security issues, there's folks who are CISOs or they've worked in that industry for a long time that you can lean on. Wow. There are artificial intelligence, there's machine learning, there's these different disciplines that I can go and say, I need some of that and I don't have the in-house expertise. Yes. How can I, how can I solve that? And it, it's, it's really, really helpful because you're not on an island by yourself. There's, there's a, a group there that can be supportive. Yeah. A beautiful support network. I mean, so my, I'm going to share my uh, assumptions around private equity companies because I didn't think private a company was like that. They're all about the bottom line. You know, it's about making making the money, getting in, exit, off you go, you know, kind of thing. But this sounds very kind of nurturing. Yeah, I, I've I've worked with some private equity companies where they're all financial folks that are just looking at a bottom line. I want to invest in this company. I want you to grow by three to five X and I'm going to sell you in three years. And that's fine. That That's, that's a perfectly valid and, and good business model. Uh, but what I'm seeing with a lot of companies is some of the, the later private equity companies is they want to do more than just make the money. 
that's always there. That never goes away. <laughs> but it's also about doing more. Yes. Uh, there, you, you're seeing more private equity companies getting involved with nonprofit organizations because they just want to do something for a community. Yeah. And so the goal becomes something other than monetary, but it's there. In, in ours, uh, Vista has focused almost exclusively on software companies. And so it's really about building the best kind of software companies that are that are there, making them more efficient, making them better. And that that's what's really been appealing for me working in, in this kind of space is that, um, you know, taking good standard practices of just how do you do these things, having the playbooks to say, if you're going to do this kind of project, yes. here's a roadmap for how you can lay this out, whether it's planning your next year's roadmap, uh, uh, whether it's finalizing your budget, whether it's your hiring practices, you can you can go to a, a private equity firm is going to come to you with a lot of lessons learned that if you're a brand new leader, you can lean on that to say, all right, you know, you, we often talk about what books we could go read or what what manuals are there out there. Right. A lot of times there's nothing better than just lessons learned from people who've been down that road before. Totally. I totally, I can imagine that's brilliant. And hopefully this is what we're trying to do with the CTO Confessions podcast as well, is to share some of those stories so we can learn from each other, you know, because uh, there's no point kind of going down uh, the same old kind of uh, traps that, uh, you know, we all know to avoid or some people know to avoid. So you kind of mentioned earlier on around uh, that around teams and uh, making sure that you hire the right people. It's really important that you get the right people on. Now, one of the things that we find with uh, tech leaders is that they tend to kind of augment their teams. They tend to have a mix, a blend, you know, some mm -hmm. are in-house, some are in-source, some projects are outsourced. What's your kind of thoughts on that? I think it's a different solution depending on what problem you're facing. Yeah. So in my career, uh, you can use a mixture. If I have a project, for example, that is very self-contained, uh, particularly if you're looking at something that's a legacy platform that needs to be maintained, but you're not going to be advancing it, uh, an option to use an outside contracting firm is perfectly viable. You can do that. Uh, and, and whether you, you do it uh, far overseas, say in India or, or some other country, you can make that decision based more on financial decisions than whether or not it's, it's technically feasible. If you're doing like in, in the case at Kazoo, we were actually doing a replatforming and it required a lot of collaboration between the engineers and in a near real-time basis. It, ideally, they could all be in one big room and everybody could war room it and we would, we would be happy. But the uh, reality is that isn't the case. But we did want to augment the teams because I knew that I needed a lot of help for a relatively short period of time yes. so I can augment it with contractors, but I needed to augment them with people that were within one hour of our time zone yes. because I couldn't afford for a 20 minute problem to become a 24 hour problem because <laughs> two people just couldn't talk. Yeah. Uh, and, and you also have to be mindful of having managed teams around the world. It, uh, after a while, getting up at 2 a.m. to take that phone call or, or staying late uh, in the evening just to adjust for those time zones yes. that wears on folks after a while. So in that scenario, we use more nearshore resources for that aspect. And because I needed them to be highly collaborative, we augmented those members onto the team as opposed to having them as standalone teams. So Mike, growing pains of companies, what are the things, what's the thing you think that would help an organization grow rather than hold it back? For me, it's always been clarity of what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, it, having your CEO or your leadership team saying, we need to accomplish this goal by this date. 
is is a very clear goal. The teams can then take that as as a north star to guide them, and they can look at at okay, here's where we are. What is it going to take for us to be there? And sometimes that answer might be, you know what, boss, we can't get there by that time, but we can get there a month later. Yes. And you can have those negotiations. Or you can say, no, you know what? We're going to have to bust our butts, but we can get there. Yeah. We can do this. Here's all the things we need to do. And by having that clarity of purpose, it makes setting the goals, setting the expectations, having everyone on the same page, all of those become a lot easier. Yeah. If, if there's one thing that I would say is, yeah, that, establish that that one thing. And have you got experience of where that didn't happen? And how did that work out? Uh, yeah, you, you often see this where, uh, uh, going back to some of our private equity things, when, when there's just a goal of make more money, well, there's a ton of different ways you can do that. Yes. And some people are going to have, oh, we need to add features to the product, or others will say, no, we have to go after this new market, or no, we have to cut costs and just make things more efficient. All of those are tools, but they're not a purpose. They're not a goal. They're just means to an end. They're not the ends themselves. Yes, I, that's a really good point, actually, because sometimes uh, companies do get very focused on that bottom line, and it's blinding in a, in some respects. You know, uh, it, it becomes a disabler almost. Yeah, uh, and there's also the opposite of not having any direction is having too many. Simply uh, trying to do too many things at once. Yeah. Yes, and then it's it's just a convoluted mess. So Mike, as we come to the closing arc of our podcast, what advice would you give to aspiring leaders out there, tech leaders? If you're fairly new into the leadership role, take an inventory of the resources you have. Talk to your people, not just look at their resumes, sit down and talk with them. Mm. You'll find out people have got experience and background that may not show up, that could be very beneficial to you. Uh, understand where your boss is trying to take the company. And if you don't understand, ask. There, you need to be clear about where your purpose is in that, that organization and, and where its goal is. And as part of that, are there any books that helped you in your leadership and in your journey that were kind of gateways or any events or training that you did? Yeah, I would say a very good one uh, to start with, and it's a classic, is, is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Yeah. If, if you read that one, you will start to recognize when some of those patterns begin to evolve. Uh, the other one that was really good for me was leading by questions. And that's where you make that transition from trying to jump in and provide the answer. And, and as an engineer, I, there's so many times I want to start solving the problem. It's like, don't solve the problem right away. Start asking questions, okay. probe into it, ask why. Uh, let, even if you know the answer, sometimes it's better for you to ask the questions until your, your, your team starts answering it. And then you realize they do get it. I can hand this off. Hmm. And now I have more bandwidth to go solve the bigger problems because I trust that they've got this under control. Fantastic. I love that. Yeah. Chris, uh, I remember a book called uh, the, the Answer is in the Question. You know, or, or the or the questioning is the answer, something like that. But it was a good book. It's to do with sales. Um, and if I was a tech genie, here we go, Mike. I'm a tech genie. I'm going to offer you a wish for your tech leadership. What would you wish for? That's a good one. Something that could magically translate what a customer 
is intending to say into actual words I can act on. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I would say at least half to three quarters of, of the problems that we encounter are because we didn't truly understand what the customer wanted. Uh, and it's not always what they're saying. And it's, it's trying to drive into what is the problem they're really trying to solve. Yes. If, if I had a, a translation device that could take their words and just turn it into a, a solid requirement, that would be Brilliant. one. We're, we're working on it. I'm working on it for you, Mike. <laughs> it's been the post. And as we come to the end, what's your final key takeaway for the men, women, leaders, tech leaders out there? It's around being clear about what you want from your team and what your yeah. expectations of them are, and then holding them accountable, including yourself. Uh, that accountability and that ownership is, is everything. Uh, yes. it's, it's ultimately what, what they have to embrace. And as I often tell a lot of my, my team leads, ownership doesn't necessarily mean that I want you to do the whole problem. It's just, I want you to make sure the problem gets resolved. Yes. That may mean you have to engage others to do the parts that you don't know about, but uh, it, it really is being accountable, being, being able to take that ownership of the whole issue. Great. That's great advice. Thank you for your time, Mike. It's been great having you on board, sir. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Wow. Fighter pilot to CTO. Just imagine putting that on your CV. I loved my conversation with Mike. Talking of his time as a captain and the principles of making decisions fast, i.e. the UDA loop, and getting inside the decision loop of competitors was wonderful. I loved it. Loads of key takeaways from this podcast. But I'd like to know what yours are. In the meantime, these are my key takeaways. Number one, the importance of a tech leader being familiar with and skillful at the financial perspectives of the business and not just the tech. Having a perspective and understanding of the business side of the organisation will put you in a really strong position as a leader. My second key takeaway is about the military and the Air Force being agile before the capital A agile hit the streets. The principles of self-organising teams and being adaptable to plans hitting reality were there a long time ago. My third and final key takeaway is about getting hiring right. Yes, you've heard it before and you're going to hear it again. Mike's perspective on hiring A players to attract A players was excellent. I create a gravity, a nice gravity to attract similar and desirable people into your organisation. It underlines the importance of good quality hiring as a foundational layer of the organization's Maslow hierarchy of needs. So get your hiring right. So thank you for your time, Mike. Thank you for sharing your stories and gifting our tech leadership community with your lessons learned. And kudos to Kazoo for creating such a great tool for creating employee engagement, alignment and nice business feedback loops. And as for Vista for creating an ecosystem for all its organisations within its nest. An enlightened private equity firm, I think, creating the right customer-centric environment for their leaders and people to thrive. So thank you again, Mike. I look forward to speaking soon. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services, 
including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.